0: Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Today, we have a special episode from the field where I was able to accompany Michael to a new location that I'm gonna divulge in just a moment. But first, I just wanna send out a friendly reminder that no matter what platform you're listening on, please follow along, subscribe, and if you're feeling the love, give us a thumbs up rating or a five-star review we appreciate that very much, and it allows us to continue to do what we'd love to do and to bring you these podcasts. This past two weeks, I've been on an adventure with Michael in Alaska while he's been working on an assignment. And he took me to a new part of the state that I'd never been to before, south-central Alaska, and specifically the Kenai Peninsula. And we went down there to look for a variety of wildlife with the hopes of filming specifically, most specifically, bears and fishermen. And it was an amazing adventure. We met some incredible people, some very friendly people who took us in, showed us the ropes, and really had a great time, far more than anticipated. And not only that, it was a great wildlife adventure and physical workout combination, which is something that I always welcome.
1: So, you guys have been kind of radio silent for the last 10 days or so. I've been a little bit concerned um, that you didn't make it out. So, uh, tell me, what have you guys been doing?
0: There there have been a few gaps in the cell coverage, honestly. And it's been a whirlwind. And we've been in wilderness and uh, been doing a lot of hiking, a lot of glassing. And we did spend... um, talking about heading to South central Alaska down the Kenai Peninsula. We were down there for, uh, I think it was four days in total, three nights, four days. And we were down there working on an assignment that Michael has for a a show. And um, they needed the pretty wildlife images um, that they're hoping for the quality wildlife images. And that was his job that we were going to work on. And and I was just tagging along. But um, it was... Yeah, we went down there with that in mind and one of the objectives was to try and get images of salmon fishermen with bears off in the background and it was a truly unique experience because these bears obviously have grown up there and they're both brown bears and black bears so that was exciting. It was one of those scenarios just like in the Canadian Rockies where we're able to find both species in one location and it was a complementary location of the Rockies in the sense that it was different habitat being all river edge and, and a lot of mature forests along the fringe of that. So. Uh, I welcome that. But what was f- interesting to watch was the fact that these bears haven't, haven't been likely born and grown. They're used to people and this phenomenon, I mean, they're obviously there primarily for the interest in the salmon run, but it's uh, even more of a buffet for them. We did see bears catching their own salmon, but the fishermen there, which are their um, flossing, they call it, um, sockeye salmon run was on at this time. And they would guide their lure through the water, hoping to floss the sockeye salmon in the mouth as they breathe and hook them that way. And it was interesting, the ethics behind it, because um, they are allowed three, if I remember correctly, three sockeye each per day to take home uh, for meat. But the fishermen, all the ones that we talked to, they wouldn't snag the fish. That's not ethical. They'd have to floss it through the mouth. So it required quite a bit of patience. But there were a number of, of fishermen. The river that we spent quite a bit of time on we hiked a few miles of it, and in each little pocket where there was a little honey hole, if you will, of, of uh, an eddy in the current, they could they hold up before they push on to the next. And so the fishermen would concentrate there. There may be one fisherman on this band and not see any others, or maybe there'd be three or four or five. And when they catch a fish, they take it to the shore and they fillet it, um, obviously when there are no bears around. And keep the fillets, they wrap them in a plastic bag so the scents contained, stuff it in their backpacks. So that's smartly done. And then they also, those that know to do this, take what's left of the salmon and break it into three or four pieces, about fist sized pieces. So this is just the backbone and the head and the tail, Mm -hmm. break it up, throw it into the river. So it disperses and, and floats downstream and doesn't get the attention of the bears that are roaming around. That being said, It was amazing to watch how the trout would come up and feed on uh, on these sections of the salmon that were being thrown away so the waste not for sure it was all used um some of the carcasses weren't broken up by all the fishermen and they would float downstream and but they'd get snagged on branches so if there's a deadfall that's fallen into the river a bit they would get caught on that or um, just washed ashore and sometimes the gulls would snatch them and drag them to shore and the bears are smart enough that you can tell they have a routine where I would guess probably twice a day they'd come to the river and hike the edge. And typically they're on the far side from the fishermen. So there's really minimal conflict and they look for these carcasses and they know smartly they ignore the fishermen for the most part. And they look in these snags for a salmon carcass and then take it up into shore and for the most of them that we observed they take it into the bush discreetly and kind of disappear about 10 yards in and consume it you know three three to five minutes later they pop back out and continue up the stream looking for more. So it was interesting to watch that behavior and to see that you know as long as the people remain calm um, and smart I mean you do have to watch the bear you wouldn't want to have a fish on when a bear came out you'd have to be careful with that. Spending those days there uh, was a thrill, and, and, I mean, there's so much to tell in this podcast. It was a hell of a workout on some of the stretches of this river, which was fun. I mean, I always, I don't, I get stuck at the computer too often, so when I get in the field, it's it, at first it's not much fun to do the, do the big hikes, but after a couple of days you get into stride and feel better physically for it, and that was this kind of case. But it's kind of a, it's an amazing story of how the, our hardest hike the second morning, how that happened, but I, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Because the first night we were on the river, we were filming these fishermen and and a bear or two on the far shore as it went by. And this very friendly young man came up and approached us and asked what we were doing. And Michael explained he was filming for this project and what he was looking for. And this young man, uh, whose home state is Texas, his name is Brian, was one of the friendliest people I have ever met. And I'll tell you, if there's a passionate fisherman, this is the guy. And he'd been, he worked the summer in that area and surprisingly was only a couple of days away from heading south again. His summer was up um, for his experience, but he loved being on this river and knew all the nooks and crannies and offered to spend the next morning with us. And even that evening, actually, he hiked up river <laughs> because he knew pockets where the bears tend to pop out and would help yeah. us. And what was ideal for Michael was, I mean, he had the perfect, I mean, he was fishing, right? So he had the look on. He had the Alaskan. He's like this, I think he was 22, and the big beard. He looked like he just belonged here, you know, and he did. Um, so the first evening we, we hiked up and we did, I think there were two bears that we were able to get with him. But what was great was he would just fish by us and we'd spend an hour or two, and, and eventually a bear would come through. And we, Michael was able to position him to get the shot in a safe manner rather than just randomly encountering, encountering fishermen and a bear, right? So we were able to conduct it in a safe way and get the footage, the video footage that Michael was looking for. And then Brian, I mean, we had, this is a good story. We, Michael had booked a, a hotel, but it was another hour and some away. And the days being so long up here at the end of July, we weren't off the river until 11 p.m. And we're planning to be back out there at 6 a.m. So with an hour's drive to this hotel, both ways, didn't make any sense. We'd get four hours sleep and we'd be paying a fair bit for those, this hotel. Um, and so our, our new friend, Brian, he worked at a nearby lodge with cabins and, and a restaurant. And it was closing at 11. He's like, his cell didn't get coverage, but for some Good luck reason. Mine did. And he was like, let's call and get you guys dinner ordered. So we show up. So we ordered dinner. They would closed five minutes before. But since he worked there, we showed up. And it was all ready for us. We had this great dinner. And then we were deciding if we were going to make the trek to this hotel. And Brian talked to the owner. And the owner turned out to be a really nice guy, too. Um, and that night, he dropped the rate to one-third because it was so late knowing we are going to head out in the morning. So we ended up staying there, and uh, which was great because it bought us two hours more sleep than we would have had. And the next morning, uh, 6 AM, there was a knock at our cabin. Brian's ready to go and he's got his fishing stuff ready. And, and we headed in in a new direction, much higher up on the same river by not much, maybe three or four miles up from the, where we were the evening before. And it was this back route way and, and, um, the hike down, um, it was great through, through the forest, but the last the last 150 yards had a lot of, it was really packed soil and watercourse, kind of the stream going down the trail with all these rocks and tree roots. And so we really had to take our time hiking down. So it was a fair bit of a workout, but we got down there and I did actually a cool little time lapse on the iPhone with the Osmo going down the trail and uh, just
1: capturing I believe you posted that, didn't you? Or no, not yet.
0: I haven't posted that yet. No, it's coming. Um, probably by the time this podcast is up, that'll be up. Um, we, did, we posted a bear along the river on the Instagram mm-hmm. feed, on the Wild and Exposed Instagram feed mm-hmm. uh, to illustrate that. But there are many more coming. Yeah, it's collected a lot of good material. So we got down to the spot, which is one of Brian's favorite fishing holes. And he caught a beautiful sockeye that morning. and We were able to get some footage of that. And then also get one bear came by, a brown bear, and we got some great video. And don't let me dominate this story here, Mike. If you want to cut in at any time, stop yeah, me. Say, All right, buddy. All right. So the brown bear came by. We got great footage. And I was doing a lot of the background stuff uh, with the Osmo and getting some iPhone shots of the setup and what, what was being done. And uh, we waited for probably a couple more hours and then decided to head downstream. And the hike in was somewhat arduous. It was a bit of a workout. And again, that slippery trail was precarious. And, and we didn't, didn't really want to go back up there. And I didn't think it was that far down river to where we were the night before. So he suggested to Brian, why don't we just walk the river down? It's not that bad, right? And neither, neither Michael nor I had waders on. We just had our hiking boots. And, uh, but he thought that would be fine. And for the most part it was but he said yeah let's just walk the river and so there's a bit of a game trail along the river and what i what i said a bit like a tiny bit of a game trail along the river (laughs) so so it hugs this river's edge and we were climbing over boulders and again it's all packed but so packed and wet it's slippery and then you have these roots so up and down over boulders and into the bush five yards back out walking along the river, you know, and maybe five inches of water or something, not enough to get soakers really, but you have to do it quickly and balancing rocks, camera in one hand, tipping this way and that way. You know, if there was any time in my career, I thought I was going to make an insurance claim on my camera. That was going to be the morning, (laughs) but I haven't had a claim. So I figured it's okay. We're going to try this. And I think it was about a couple of miles. It was a long hike just because of how, difficult the terrain was to get up and down and And, uh, Michael had a lot of gear too and Brian was great he was was trying to show us a footing on the way down and and taking his time and stuff so that was a workout to get back down but we made it safely there were no broken lenses or cameras we were lucky and uh, we actually there was a second brown bear that we encountered on our way down that was excitingly on the same side of the river as us to begin with and it was approaching and uh so brian was out fishing about uh maybe 10 yards into the river which might have been at some places 40 yards across and the bear came up about 50 yards away and then crossed the river and and proceeded to pass us on the far shore and i mean that's what they do right they don't want conflict with people Uh, i would say you know nine bears out of ten that we encountered seemed very um used to people and kind of their rules there they didn't they didn't pressure people. They were looking for these carcasses. That being said, we did meet one big brown bear, the biggest, I think, that I saw, that was nervous and clearly wasn't one that was used to seeing people at the river. And I had that moment. I could just, it was maybe only 20 yards away. We stumbled on it uh, in the forest along the, along the trail. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, you could tell for a second it had that, fight-or-flight kind of thought in its mind. Should it bluff charge? Should it run? But there were four of us together at that time, and the bear just uh, ended up walking away into the forest, and we didn't see that again. So why I mentioned that one is people still have to be very careful because they all have different personalities, and to be smart about it and have common sense and make noise and, and dense vegetation. But for the most part, it was quite interesting to watch this age-old interaction of, of these fishermen and the bears, and uh, mm-hmm. it was a great success, and, and Brian was, was really great at showing us um, the river, the lay of the land there, and, and the bears, and it was, we had um, our third morning, we ended up staying at these cabins, and the other hotel, props to them, didn't charge us for the night we didn't show up on, so that was very nice.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, Nice, typical Alaskan hospitality. But uh, on the final morning, we ended up staying in a cabin at the uh, at the lodge where Brian worked for all three nights. And on the final morning, we had a wonderful experience with a black bear sow and two cubs. And she worked the river for about two miles, and we were able to uh, stay parallel on the far shore and get some great images, and what was really cool about it was she was looking for salmon carcasses and all these stumps and snags and deadfalls on the far shore. Now there might only be a snag every 100 yards, but every time she would come to it, she'd come out onto it and look into the water. And her cubs, half the time, joined her on the log. So it was this great footage to have the three Mm -hmm. of them see their whole bodies, their claws, and looking in the water, and they go back and they walk the riverbank further up but just to have that opportunity over and over again and not just once was a real thrill as a photographer
1: Hmm. that's fantastic and mike you i mean you were on assignment basically do you feel like the footage you got met what the request was
2: it was Pretty difficult to know what we were up against. So, when we got to the river, were we going to see bears? How close were we going to see bears? Were we going to see fishermen with the bears? And I had to choose a lens and and camera option that would give us the best flexibility. So, the first night I went out with a 100 to 400 with the DSLR body. So, with 100, I figured I could zoom out and get a little bit of the river with the bear and then hopefully a fisherman. And it worked out okay. And it was actually Pretty decent because it was raining and it was low light, cloudy, and I was able to run the ISO up and actually get a decent shot. So the next day I thought, I need to try the red so I can get slow-mo, but I had it hooked up to the 200 to 400, and that was proved to be way too much lens. It's really hard to put a fisherman on one side of the river and directly across the river have a bear and get them both in the same shot for any amount of time. You know, you could do it really tight and see a bear going through really fast, but if you want to see a whole scene with a river and a bear walking, I had to have a wide-angle lens. So that afternoon I tried the red camera with a 24-70, to and that was the ticket. It was just perfect for a river that would range from 20 yards to 40 yards wide, bears and fishermen. You, You really could capture the whole scene. So I think we got it. To answer your question in the very beginning, we got the shot that they wanted, Actually, we got several varieties. We got brown bears, we got black bears, we got a black bear with a couple of cubs, we got single black bears. And what was really interesting, and Mark touched on it, was you can have a brown bear go by and 10 seconds later, here comes a black bear. You wouldn't think that these bears would interact so much, but it doesn't seem like they have a problem at all.
1: Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering when you guys were describing. Uh... The sow with cubs in that area with all the other bears. And you know, they're all looking for the same food source with those those fish snagged on the on the overhanging debris. Yeah, I was wondering how she must be she must be pretty uh pretty in tune with what's going on around her to keep those cubs alive down there.
2: Yeah, we saw a tree the cubs once, but it was because there was another black bear, it wasn't another brown bear. But yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic because you would think a lot of these brown bears would see a black bear cub and think of it as a meal and just go for it, right? But they must exist just fine or maybe the brown bears just stay away. I don't know. It was a pretty interesting dynamic and it sounds like it goes on all the time and there was no, no spot on the river where you'd only see brown bears or no spot on the river where you'd only see black bears. It was pretty much mixed throughout.
0: They seem to really get along, and I think it's just the food source at this time of year is so rich that there's not much conflict. I was surprised to see that between the two species, too, because normally if there are brown bears or grizzly bears, um, they're not going to tolerate black bears in close vicinity very often. We didn't actually, I don't think, if I can remember correctly, see both species in sight at the same time, but we did hear of that happening. Um, where people had seen a brown bear quite close to the black bear, and they just kind of stumbled on each other and surprised one another, but without any alarm or aggression, just kind of turned around and each went in the opposite direction. So clearly, it's it's a you, an interesting location that these both both species seem to coexist fairly well. I'm sure there are conflicts, but um, there this was a black bear sow with cubs that we saw. There was also a grizzly sow with cubs the vicinity of brown bear, as it's called on the coast. Um, but we we didn't see her. Um, Brian and his friends had seen her a day or, a day or two before we arrived and, took and and collected a couple of pictures. But that was, um, yeah, so it just it seems like there's a lot of focus on the fish and the bears are, are just a little more relaxed maybe than they might be in some other situations where there isn't as much abundant food available to them.
2: The other thing is, is a lot of the brown bears are pretty young, so maybe they're just focused on keeping themselves alive and eating fish and don't really pay attention to anything else. Um, I don't know if that matters or not, but we didn't see very many old bears at all.
1: Now, that wasn't the only thing that you were after, though, for this assignment, was it?
2: Yeah, I have a whole list of stuff, and some of it's pretty pie-in-the-sky stuff, which you'll probably never get, like a lynx you know, who knows, you can always see a lynx just about anywhere, but actually seeing a lynx and filming a lynx are two different things, but along with the lynx story, they want to do some stuff with snowshoe hares, and, uh, I think that's pretty doable, I still have to shoot that, we had to shoot some stuff with swans, and then, uh, Mark and I had a pretty good adventure yesterday morning out, uh, looking for moose, so they need some moose footage too for the show, so we got up and, uh, Went on a walkabout, and we found a couple of nice, really nice big bulls. Mark can explain the story because he was the one that spotted them in the get-go, but it was a pretty awesome, interesting day. So, yeah,
0: this was, this was fun for me. I mean, I love photographing all kinds of charismatic megafauna, as we've talked about before on podcasts, and the bears were a thrill. Um, but it was nice, uh, or sorry, not even nice. It was great fun Get to spend a whole morning with moose yesterday and we had uh, hiked up to this big valley the morning before and actually had a couple of mountain bikes and headed across and and rode for a few miles um, down this valley looking for moose very foggy morning like we were in the clouds how cool was that so it was like rounding corners you know it's a big enough valley that you should be able to see a mile across but uh, we could see at times maybe 60 or 70 yards so it was Exciting to think that we could stumble on something at any moment, and um, this is, you know, who knows, lynx, wolverine, you don't know what you're going to see, a bear, Uh, but we had just started out and gone uh, probably less than a mile and we came across a cow and calf moose in the fog. Um, It was short-lived because they didn't stick around because of the fog, we couldn't see them for very long either, so there's a couple of quick photos that I was able to collect um, and that was uh, all we saw during our cycle out, and then we cycled back. And when we were returning, it was really interesting in the valley. The clouds were just swirling at this rapid rate, and what was unique to me is we were above them, or at least at the same level, these clouds. So we just slammed on our brakes, threw the bikes into the into the Willow thickets. Sorry, Missy, I was riding Missy's bike. I actually set it down carefully. And... <laughs> <laughs> pulled out, pulled out our iPhones because uh, smartphones do great time-lapse videos. And so we were each standing there for about 20 minutes doing this time-lapse of these clouds swirling and doing verticals and horizontals. And it was funny because, you know, time-lapse takes a while. You've got to hold the phone up for minutes, like four minutes, to get a decent length of time-lapse to see all these clouds going. And so we hold them still, and, and these new phones have little stabilizers in them. so. And time lapse is quite forgiving at doing this too, so as far as the minimal movement can still pull it off. So we did these time lapses, and I'd finish it at least from my perspective, like, oh, I nailed it, that's great, I'm done. And then I'd look at the clouds and oh, that looks even better. So I just I did like six or seven of these time lapses. And it wasn't until the last one I think I joined up and walked the extra 20 yards to where Michael was standing. and he's like, you see the moose? I'm like, what moose? I'm looking at the clouds. And he's like, they're right there down below the clouds in in the valley, in the bowl. You know, about uh, three quarters of a mile off. And I'm like, no way. And I look, and there are these little dots. So I replayed my time lapse. And it was really cool because the clouds are swirling. And the moose dots are moving between the trees back and forth as they're feeding. That was so cool from a a perspective of the big landscape. So we made note of where we saw them with plans to come back. At that point, the light was getting harsh and we were pulling the plug on in the morning and going to head back, back to town and, and catch up on some computer work and downloading cards. So the next morning, knowing where the moose were, expected them to be. It wasn't as far, so we didn't take any bikes. We were just going to hoof it out. So we loaded up our packs. No clouds. you sorry, no fog that, that day, but it was cloudy. And we headed to the vantage point where we'd seen the moose when we were doing the time-lapse and at first didn't see anything, but it didn't take long to spot one bull. And I didn't say but the previous morning with the time-lapse, there were five moose out there. Mm -hmm. So we spotted one bull, a mature bull in the same spot. So our backpacks are on camera gear. So we start hiking to him. We're heading down this game trail and we went maybe four or 500 yards. And I noticed this bull's walking away. I'm like, no, come on, because I know moose can walk faster than me, especially across this vegetation. And he was walking towards a fairly dense spruce forest that, you know, might have occupied a few hundred yards. And if he goes in there and beds down, there's not going to be any opportunity to film him. So we get about 400 yards along on this hike. And I don't know why, sometimes I look over my shoulder, but usually, you know, I look at the vista ahead of me, I peeked up over my right shoulder, and I was like, what? There's this antler peeking above the grass like 30 yards from us, and 30, 40 yards. So it's like slamming on the brakes, both of us, and we backed up to get to keep the scent, the wind to our direction and to, and to hike up to get a vantage point of this moose. You could just see uh, maybe a foot of antler, but it looked like a big bull. So we hiked back up around, um, about 60 yards back and up the hill about another 60 yards, and look down, and there were actually two mature bull moose bedded right there. So it was awesome. It was one of those lucky mornings where effort was minimal, and they were so photogenic. And and what was, I mean, they're finished growing their antlers for the most part now at the end of July. It's just a matter of the bone solidifying over the next three weeks, and then the velvet's going to be shed. They're going to rub it off. But at this time of year, with, at this stage of antler growth, the texture in the antlers is very visible in photography. It's like this well, it's velvet, haha. <laughs> it's this velvet texture, but the color, there are these lines of, of different colors of browns and even white that go through the antlers. So mm-hmm. to me it's they're really photogenic. And these bulls were bedded in wildflowers. Yeah, that's two thumbs up. So we we've filmed them there. For about half an hour, and then they stood up and started feeding, and we were able to film them feeding as well. And then they went down this ravine, and in a in a place that wasn't conducive to photos. And we watched them go, and they were heading uphill, and we we're probably half a mile away at this time. And we and we realized that the trail that we had um, cycled down the morning before might intercept them, so we double timed it. I think I triple-timed it back walking. I never run in wild areas because I don't want to startle wildlife. Um, but walking as briskly as I could, um, went back up and to this trail and, and tried to intercept the bulls. And I missed the bull. I walked past it. It was about 60 yards to the left. It had doubled back in our direction in the time. that we, So we'd hike, uh, it was probably about 600 yards to the worst. So we lost sight of them all the spruce trees and and the topography. Um, And they had doubled back, so I had gone past the bull, and Michael saw it and whistled and and got my attention. It was about 70 yards or so to our left. And so we were able to get back with one bull and photograph him for about half an hour, and then he bedded down again. And so um, Michael and I... It was about uh i guess we were about 60 yards away we just sat down with our packs up against this willow thicket and enjoyed the company and the view the company of the moose and the view uh i love being in the mountains up here and the bull was bedded for about a couple hours so we just uh hung out and took in the in the in the wilderness and the scene but during that time a cow came through and came out and bedded by the bull, about 30 yards away, not close enough to put them in the same frame and, in any effective okay. way. But close, close enough that we were watching them both. And it was great to watch them because, you know, uh, and they weren't, I guess they could see each other between the vegetation probably. But, you know, at times the bull would lay right down. He'd like disappear because he'd put his antlers on the ground on one side you know, and he'd do that for a couple of minutes and it pick his head up, and then 15 minutes later he has head down on the other side, and so was the cow. She was laying flat out, couldn't see her head at times. So after about two hours of being parked, this couple got up, and it's, it was interesting to me to have a male and female together in the summertime. You know, the boys often hang out in bachelor groups. So they both got up and started feeding, and we spent about another hour. Filming and photographing them, and they didn't really interact. It was funny. I was just dreaming of this idea that they'd touch noses for the perfect shot of a bull and a, and a cow moose because they're so different. Their skulls are similar, but he's got this huge rack compared to her having nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was able to get them in the frame, same frame, a couple of times together, but they they never um, really greeted each other in any physical way. And it was funny because at one point the bull came up right beside the cow. And she put her ears back and, like, gave a little bluff at him. It's like, not yet, buddy, you stay away, you know. So it was it was funny because they stayed in the same vicinity um, and gave us a couple of opportunities. So I was grateful for even two or three photos where they were together in the same frame. And it was beautiful. I mean, there are wildflowers here and there, or the vista off behind them. It was a great photographic opportunity. And um, after 45 minutes or an hour, they fed, and then they bedded back down actually quite close to where they had bedded previously and uh, the light was getting harsh at that time the clouds are burning off and so we uh, packed up the rest of our gear and, and headed out so it was a fun morning and productive and and great i know um michael was showing me the video he shot with some really great clips there of interaction of the bull and he was very photogenic um probably a five or six year old bull and uh yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I, you know, it's been since last fall since I've just sat in the company of moose, so no complaints here.
1: Yeah, sounds like a great day. Another great day. Guys, we had a
0: few. Well, yeah, the Kenai Peninsula was a whole new world and a whole new experience, and to see the sockeye salmon—what a beautiful, impressive fish—and to learn a lot about the salmon. From the people there, from the fishermen, um, from uh, fisheries biologists that we met, and actually just did a podcast with uh, for your listening enjoyment, uh, that I hope everybody will uh, dial into, and uh, that'll be posted right around this one. Um, but it was it was just interesting because of the bears and the people. You know, I've always gone to destinations where we could film bears, but never with that kind of accepted shared space and mm-hmm. so it was just very interesting to observe that and to meet the people there a lot of great people whether it was yeah um the locals or or um, the fishermen and some people travel a long way to be there and uh, some of the history we actually met uh, three fellows who've been fishing in that area for i don't know it was 20 or 30 years they were great i mean the stories they told the history camaraderie i mean fishing clearly has brought these friends together and and just to see that and appreciate but how that resonates with them and it was just a a totally lush forest and picturesque landscape you know with this this river cutting through it with the salmon and and trout lots of trout too so it was it was kind of a new world experience for me and and the people like i said before was great Alaskan hospitality and, and brian and another young lad uh levi was also great and and, uh, worked with us on some of the photos and video too
2: i'll have to second that with the people it's they're amazing and you know you you get so used to being in a big city where you just pass people you don't say anything you just walk you do your own thing and you don't you know you got places to be when you're out here especially with us we were looking for information so we would stop talk to a fisherman ask him if they'd seen any bears or seen anything and Everybody would be, oh, yeah, I just saw one five minutes ago. Or we saw one here this morning. and It was just constant help and information, which makes our job so much easier. And then you build a relationship, and then we would reciprocate. So if we saw somebody catching a lot of fish in a certain area, we would point that out, or we would also point out the bears that we saw. So it was a pretty cool situation with a lot of really nice people.
1: And, Michael, it was is that the first time you've been down there as well?
2: I've been down in this area before. Um, never to really photograph. I've always heard about it being a pretty good bear area, so um, I knew it had the potential, but, you know, it seems like I'm always headed to Homer. I'm going to uh, Sildotna to do some things, so never really stopped at this particular river, so it's definitely a a good one and a, a good place to head back to, and it sounds like it's good from June through August, so with all the different salmon runs, it could be a really good spot for... you know several different times of the summer Mm
1: -hmm. and i i mean you know we've talked several times about the duration of the trips uh you try to try to do 10 days in an area just to get the get the lay of the land get the flow what's going on around you and it it sounds like you guys without the help of those fishermen probably wouldn't have had or enjoyed the same success that you that you enjoyed in those few days
2: yeah i think that helped a lot and the good thing about having that that kid that was helping us out Brian you know he's a fisherman and I needed a model to be in the shot so if I would had to work with just random fishermen up and down the river it would have been really hard to place the bear and the fisherman in the same shot we could go to a spot and I tell Brian if a bear is coming out over here you should fish right here and that would help set the scene so
0: we shared a lot of stories and uh, and that way when there was a bear again in the right scenario at a safe distance one or both of them could step into the frame and make it work. And, and they mm-hmm. were very gracious with their time and really, really enjoyed getting to know them. And uh, So it was, it was a great experience for all, the, all of the reasons listed. And, and this trip to, to Alaska, uh, it's been quite varied uh, over the past couple of weeks. But the bears in the Kenai Peninsula are definitely a highlight. Yeah. Uh, the four days and three nights that we spent down there, a lot of cool interaction, both wild and human.
2: What else did we do? We did uh, moose. We did bears. Today we went out and tried to find some swans. We had a line on some swans at a particular spot, private property, and we got out there. And of course, the swans weren't there, but um, the potential is there. So I think we'll head back to that location. Is there any other places we went?
0: Well, we've tried for moose in in a couple of different locations, and we saw moose in both. At the beginning, we went to this other spot. um, I think three times. That was the first time that Mike, uh, sorry, Missy's bike really, really hurt to ride up these steep hills. Um, But it was, we did see moose, but in no locations that really provided imagery or or video. Um, The second location that we tried was productive and much better setting for habitat and for just being able to see them, find them from a distance, glass from a high point and, and hike to them. The first place was all dense forest, so... It was just a matter of finding one at close range. And it was because of the dense forest. There were a lot more uh, mosquitoes and stuff there in the summer. Whereas where we ended up finding the moose um, the past uh, few days, well, we didn't go out today, but yesterday and the day before, uh, it was more open country. So no no budding insects of any concern for us. So that was cool for this time of year.
1: Nice. Well, I cannot wait to get up there. I can tell you that. I, uh, I've i been looking at some of the little teasers that you've been sending me, and I'm just getting more and more excited.
0: I can't wait to share it with you, especially in autumn when the colors pop.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
0: This one thing, you know, these two bull moose uh, yesterday morning, one was really impressive, um, and the other one was still a beautiful bull, the one that we spent more time with. But I just kept – and I love the texture in the velvet like I alluded to earlier, but I just – They're only a month away from shedding that velvet and then the color Mm -hmm. changing. And then there's just so many more photographic opportunities to have that color and and antlers. And so I can't wait to run. I'm ready.
1: Yeah. Now, you said you did get them in some wildflowers, though. Yeah, right. Alaska is kind of famous for the big big landscapes with all the the purple, nice purple fireweed. fireweed. Did you get any of that?
0: Yeah, Yeah. No, no, I didn't. But there's so much of it around, and
1: yeah.
0: I've taken pictures of just the fireweed with the mountains and just close-ups because it's so striking. Unfortunately, there was no fireweed exactly where these moose were. Um, there were these. I looked up. I sent the name yesterday. There's little blue flowers and a whole I took pictures of the field of those. But the the flowers the bull bedded in were it was small yellow flowers, but not like a not like a dandelion, more like a a little orchid kind of flower. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when he he repositioned himself at one point and moved about 10 yards and bedded down in these flowers, I was like, thank you very much. I mean, it was was just a great summery setting versus just green grass. Sure. Um, So for photos, for like a calendar or stuff like that, or a book or anything, do natural history moves, they were very suitable. I did have a fun other encounter down in the Kenai that I forgot about for a moment, ready for this. Spruce grouse poles, or chicks. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, so we were hiking back up to the where we'd parked the truck, and I saw this hen in the forest, and she's just sitting there, and they're typically not fearful of people. Spruce grouse, the one grouse that doesn't seem to be, from my experience. And she was bold. She'd come right up, but then I heard this little chirping around her. And there's a, um, on this occasion, there were two poles, and so I was able to get some pictures. And it was funny that the mom would come up and, and, and stand on these rocks, and, and so I got great close ups, full body of her. But unfortunately, the chicks didn't join her on the rock at the same time, that's what I was hoping for. But I did get close ups of the chicks independently, so that was fun too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen a lot of eagles, and um on the river it was fun to watch the eagles at any moment you just don't know when's going to come swooping past and uh, on the river there was uh on two different evenings a family of mergansers bobbing along and that was fun to watch and there were also uh lesser yellow legs um shorebirds that would come down the river and they were fun to film and photograph because they just do this head bobbing action they'd stop and then they bump their head like looking for something and So, really, there's a lot of wildlife in addition to the bears going on around there, too. Mm. And we've seen swans. We've we've traveled a lot of countries, some great mountain vistas. I had some fun doing time-lapse on some of the back roads to illustrate our journey for some of the short clips that we'll do for our viewers. So, I mean, this is a great audio podcast, I think, to help highlight some of the things we've experienced on this trip. But you know, of course, go to our website at wildandexposed.com to see the photos we're talking about and to see some of the video clips we're talking about. And even beyond that, some of the short videos we've done. I did a really funny one yesterday. So when we were hiking with where the moose were, um, we just there were beds all in there. So probably another dozen moose beds. So I stood in one and talked about that for a minute from a funny camera perspective and stuff. So... I encourage our listeners to check that stuff out in the show notes because then they'll see the visuals. They'll see the bears. They'll get to see a clip of the bears along the river and stuff like that at wildnakesposed.com.
1: Yeah, and something new here in the last uh, couple weeks is um, we've got a Facebook page now that's up and running, and Mike's been throwing some content in there. I've thrown a little bit of content in there, and we're getting some good interaction with people. It's a great spot for people to go and Ask questions, things, you know, anything that you'd like us to cover in future podcasts um, or like us to cover in detail, you know, in the in the short video snippets. That's the place to go and and drop us a line or you can email us as well. So that, you know, we basically covered the gamut of the social media and uh, just looking forward to the opportunity to interact with people around the country, around the world. We now have listeners from Holland uh, that I met this weekend and welcome. Yes, indeed, from Amsterdam, they were out going through Yellowstone, shooting some video and and some stills. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Mike's been doing a great job with that. You know, only a couple of weeks after our official launch to have all this social media getting connected and, and so that people can interact on the different platforms and find one to the other. So it's, uh, it's been fun, fun couple of weeks since the launch to see the growth. We've been getting more and more comments from listeners on all the platforms. So we welcome that and appreciate all those positive comments and feedback and questions. That's good too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, another thing about this trip, these two weeks is we have been really lucky with weather. We've had some beautiful Alaskan summer weather where we've had some sunny days but mostly overcast and we have not been shut down due to rain yet. So aside from maybe two hours where we had to tell stories in the truck and the Kenai. Aside from that <laughs> it's been beautiful and uh, just so comfortable and it's been a great experience for me.
1: Now I've enjoyed hearing about it. I've, I've wondered how things have gone. It's good to get to hear some of the stories that you guys have been able to experience out there firsthand.
2: You know, I've got one thing to add. We've got a buddy that is selling his 200 to 400 Canon lens. So I told him I would just say on the podcast that, uh, there's a really nice lens for sale. And if anybody's interested, send us a link on our, or go to our website, fill out the little email form and we'll put you in touch with him.
0: And, uh, follow along and, uh, you can find us on, uh, on YouTube and on our website, wildandexposed.com. Go to the WE Podcast page to see all of our podcasts. And we've only launched, uh, like I said, a couple of weeks ago. But I think this might be our 20th podcast we will be uploading. You might have 20 close to that already. With lots of content there, covering everything from Alaska to Antarctica to the Canadian Rockies to Wyoming. So we're bringing you a breadth of material, and hope you'll enjoy it. And again, feel free to share any comments and show us the love on whatever podcast platform you may be dialed in and listening to. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and enjoy the outdoors and get out and hike and take some pictures and and enjoy the fresh air. Cheers.